Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Forensic Psychology is a podcast that provides an illuminating window into the workings of the criminal mind. Now, here's your host, Dr. Carlos. Well, welcome back, Andy. Hey, Carlos. How you doing? Doing pretty well. How are you, my friend? Well, you know, I celebrated a birthday since our last meeting. Oh. I'm, I'm now a, uh, officially a senior citizen, I think. I'm on the back 40. Oh, I guess on the back 40. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to make it to 100. So they can, you know, audience can do the math. <laughs> well, folks, today we're going to be talking about um, mass shootings, the last two that we had. And um, we're going off of a definition the FBI uses. And Andy will explain all that to you in a little bit. But before we get started on that, Go ahead. If you want to know more about Andy, go to behavioralscienceunit.com. It's Behavioral Science Unit LLC. You can go to the behavioralscienceunit.com. Now, those listening on the audio, you can catch his shows on the Inside the Criminal Mind on the playlist on YouTube with the Dr. Carlos Crime Network. And if you're watching us here on the YouTube, you can also listen to it on the podcast on Spotify, Apple, whatever podcast platform you listen to. Um, so, Andy, we got an interesting one. I guess, should we start off with the definition issue? Of mass shooters yeah we can start there there's a number of issues in these two cases that i think are interesting uh you know, there's the issue of the definition of mass shootings or mass casualty events yeah so uh we will talk about the definition uh, of uh, mass shootings and a, a number of other issues because this but these two particular cases we're going to talk about today uh have spawned a number of, of national conversations dealing with uh, gun law legislation, uh, dealing with the uh, with hate crimes and and uh, those types of motivations for these types of acts, um, and and also uh, mental illness issues uh, that have come uh, part of the national consciousness and discussion because of these two events. But let's start with the uh, very important definition. So as I mentioned, there's no real universal definition for a, a mass shooting or mass casualty event. The FBI definition for a mass shooting is a shooting incident which results in four or more deaths, casualties that result in deaths, uh, excluding the shooter in one location or locations nearby. Um, but uh, you'll see the media has expanded on some of some media markets. Um, and, and I, you know, you know me, we've, we've been together for three plus years. I don't really like to talk in terms of the liberals versus or progressives <clears throat> versus the conservatives and so on. There are certainly people with agendas, and we're going to talk about that as these topics uh, come up. But those um, that are interested in expanding the definition say that it doesn't necessarily have to be four deaths. It could be four or more casualties. So if we take that definition, the broadest one, four or more casualties, uh, excluding the shooter in one location, then in the weeks between March 16th and March 22nd, there were seven different 
mass casualty events. In other words, seven different cases in the United States where a shooter shot four or more people excluding themselves. The FBI's more conservative, if you will, construct of that definition that includes deaths, four or more deaths, there were two. So here's the, if you're looking for the silver lining, the silver lining is that when people get shot because of our medical emergency services, most of the times you, you have a good chance of living, even in these mass casualty events. Out of seven events, uh, only two of the seven where there were more than four people shot only two resulted in more than four people dying. Um, and unfortunately, one of them was in Atlanta on March 16th. Uh, six Asian women, uh, two uh, non-Asian uh, victims, uh, were shot and killed at uh, three different spas in the Atlanta area. Uh, the uh, subject was a guy named Robert Aaron Long, or is a, sub, uh, is a person named Robert Aaron Long. Um, and then at the end of this period, it, on uh, Monday, March 22nd in Boulder, Colorado, uh, Ahmed uh, Al-Awali Alisa, a Syrian uh, uh, immigrant or Syrian, formerly a Syrian um, citizen who immigrated to the United States as a naturalized citizen, 21-year-old, he's the suspect in a, a mass shooting where 10 people uh, were shot and killed in Boulder, Col Colorado at a grocery store. Um, these are interesting cases for a number of reasons. Okay, so they meet the FBI's definition of a mass shooting, which is interesting. One, the one in Atlanta was um, speculated to be a hate crime because six of the victims, as I mentioned, were Asian women. And because we have, you know, uh, the period of COVID where there is an uptick in violence against Asians, most of these women were South Korean, by the way. Uh, there was a, a, a lot of conversation as to whether or not the shooter's motive was because of the uh, race, the Asian race of these victims. Which then brings up a very interesting topic about hate crimes and how do you prove a hate crime? And again, going back to what I said, those people with certain agendas want to expand the definition of uh, active shooters or mass shooting casualties so they can extrapolate that and make an argument for gun control and gun regulation. And then there are those in the community that want to look for hate and, and, and extrapolate that uh, so that they can broaden uh, legislation or, or drive an agenda based on race, looking for racism a lot of different places. You have to look at these cases individually and you have to look at the nuances. So let's We'll do that uh, because I think that in the first case, and we'll break these two down, Robert Aaron Long, uh, who's been identified as the gunman in the Atlanta case, um, it appears that he had, um, based on his own statements, and we want to be real careful about conjecture and, uh, and, and drawing conclusions, both of these cases, the suspects are considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. So we're not we're not trying to make any conclusions here or speculate uh, in terms of guilt or innocence based on what the media is reporting, based on what uh, Long has stated to the police that have released this information. Um, he indicated that his motive was because he had a sex addiction. And in this uh, this addiction, which he's also uh, has a history of of. Um, 
fundamental Christianity. And he recognizes that, in fact, there's a conflict between his uh, religious beliefs and his compulsion to have uh, sex at these uh, establishments. And he's fought these demons. He spent, according to his own family, hours uh, online uh, viewing pornography. And this, uh, this driven addiction uh, has caused him to have personal problems, both with his family and his church. And there's a uh, process called um, the lethal triad. Uh, researcher named Gil Martin came up with it. And he says, uh, violence can occur when the perpetrator is isolated or in isolation. So in this case, we have Long who spent hours and hours uh, by his own family's uh, admission uh, in, his, in his room watching pornography and isolated from others. He was described by a number of classmates that, you know, they always go back to their high school and class and all that as a loner, as somebody who stayed by himself, a classic type of personality that, you know, tries to isolate himself. And we're not talking just physical isolation. We're talking mental isolation as well. And it, it, it often leads to an emotional isolation where they become, um, victims themselves in their minds, their, you know, um, inadequate personalities or, or borderline personality disorders who blame society for their problems. And Gil Martin says this is a process. It's called the lethal triad. It goes from isolation that builds into anger. And then the anger is then projected as blame towards others. And it appears that what happened in, in uh, Long's case, if you take his own statements, he has this addiction and compulsion for sex. He's not finding satisfaction in, a, in, a, in an adjust, well-adjusted relationship. And so he becomes more isolated. And as he does, he's conflicted with his religious beliefs that say that pornography is bad and that sex outside the marriage is bad. And he's, he's fighting these demons and becoming more angry in his own statement saying he was shameful and guilty. And so he projects this anger and this shame and guilt on those who he thinks are luring him to this compulsion, the, the, the people working at these massage parlors. And he told the police, according to released reports from the media, that he was trying to eliminate the temptation by shooting these people. So it is, uh, you know, as a behavioral analyst, it is a choice. It's a reason choice. It's not rational, although the theory is called rational choice theory. Here's an individual using the PEPS model, you know, personal, economic, power-based or social, who has these personal um, grievances, these personal issues. And his cognition, the, the cognitive process leads him to a reason solution that if he gets rid of these massage parlors by killing these people, then he will... Uh, rid himself of the compulsion to have sex uh, at these locations. It's it, it's illogical, but that's that's the, his thinking. Yeah, go ahead. Did he have any sex at any of the locations? Do we know if he ever frequented them? And I, I, again, here's where I, I don't want to talk about uh, details of the case that that have been reported, but not necessarily factual. So uh, there there is some data in you know on open source. It indicates that he frequented these uh, spas before. 
whether or not he had sex or simply had a massage is, um, is, is unknown. And it's really not even important. A lot of these um, sexually addicted individuals, whether it's a child uh, molester or in this case, a, a sex addict, they will build in their mind these fantasies. And these compulsions, you know, lead their behavior. And sometimes, and in this particular case, they can become um, aberrant and, and violent and criminal. And, and that's what happened in this case was it appears that he was driven by his addiction. Now, why he targeted Asian spas, um, you know, versus, you know, some other ethnic based spa, I don't know. I don't know uh, the Atlanta area in terms of, you know, the population of, of uh people that run spas in that, in that area. It may just be coincidental. Um, there were two non-Asians. So it wasn't like he only targeted one group. Uh, look, I'll give you an example of the contrast with that. Um, there's a guy named Dylan Roof, right? And uh, he went into a church, uh, pretended to, he was invited actually to pray with the people, the congregation, and he took out a gun and he, he shot a number of people and killed them in a mass uh, shooting. He was a white supremacist. When the investigation was worked on the roof case, they found a ton, well, a, a lot of evidence in social media, including a personal journal, where he expressed his white supremacist beliefs, his hatred towards blacks. So the federal government used the federal civil rights statutes for hate crime to investigate, prosecute, and he was sentenced to death. In this case, the federal government has yet to say. In fact, they've stated publicly that as of today, they don't have enough evidence to charge Long with a federal civil rights hate crime. However, in the state of Georgia last summer, they passed a hate crime law, which is a distinction that our audience should know, that you have two systems, right? You have the federal system of laws and you have the state system of laws. Typically, murder cases are a state violation prosecuted at the state level. State of Georgia has a hate crime, and it's an enhancement to a murder charge. So if you commit a murder and the state can prove that it was based on race, nationality, sex, gender, uh, the, the, the elements of the hate crime are met, then there's an enhancement, enhancement to the sentence. So in this particular case, it's going to be a test, as I see this, being prosecuted at the state level in Georgia, whether or not they, the prosecutors believe they have the elements for the enhancement. Um, the guy you know, shot, what, 10 people or, or uh, eight people in Georgia. So he shot eight people, killed them. He's not getting out of jail at all. And he's more than likely going to face the death penalty in Georgia without the hate crime. So there may be a, a prosecutorial decision. There's not enough evidence to charge him with the enhancement. So we're not going to bother with the hate crime. Or they may bow to the community pressure. Number of members of the community want this charged as a hate crime because it involved, you know, the, the Asian community. And then it'll be a test as to whether or not the uh, statute as written in Georgia is, is valid. Um, but in any case, there'll be an examination of uh, Long's mental state and determination whether or not he is mentally competent to stand trial. In my opinion, and it's just an opinion, based on what I've read in open source documents, um, this guy's an angry young man uh, who has been very confused and made some very bad rational decisions to commit uh, heinous crime that he will have to, um, he'll have to stand, um, 
stand for. And that contrasts easily, uh, Carlos, with the case out of Boulder, Colorado. Um, in, in, in the Boulder, Colorado case, nobody's really saying uh, hate crime. If anything, um, the person, the perpetrator, was a, a victim of bullying, according to open source documents, since he was in high school, because he was foreign born uh, and he didn't really fit in. And according to open source, he uh, in, back in high school was uh, had a very short temper and actually assaulted another high school classmate in what appeared to be a, um, an unprovoked attack, in fact, was convicted in 2000, I believe it was 2018, uh, for assault. And this individual uh, also described by his classmates and family members as being a loner while in high school and uh, kept to himself, uh, not a whole lot of friends, never assimilated like his brother did, never assimilated into the community, uh, had a previous violent uh, act. And in this particular case, over the course of uh, the last few months, was complaining that on Facebook that he was being uh, spied upon, hacked into, and followed by others. So he, he grew more paranoid over the course of the last several months, posting on social media. These are pre-incident indicators, right? Um, a week or so before the uh, violent assault at, uh, at the grocery store, he bought a weapon. Both of these individuals purchased weapons legally, went through the backgrounds legally. There's nothing, you know, they followed the law. And um, he bought this weapon, bought some tactical gear, went to the grocery store and uh, shot and killed 10 people, including a police officer. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, so when you look at that particular case, and I think it's interesting, and you apply PEPs, his motivation was, what do you think? Personal, economic, power-based, or social? Personal or social, probably. Yeah, and I, and I would certainly suggest that it's... Uh, explicitly personal, he operated from a position of personal hatred and, and, and anger, uh, at projecting that anger towards his victims, shooting just indiscriminately at people in, in the grocery store. It may also be social in that he may have, he, he claimed that there was Islamophobism or Islamophobism in, in Boulder, that he had been picked on since uh, high school. And so it may have been his, um, his response to that. I'll give you a quick quote from his Facebook page. 
He says, just curious, what are the laws about phone privacy? Because I believe my old school was hacking my phone. Uh, he wrote that on March 18th. Uh, this, uh, the assault occurred on uh, March 22nd. He said, um, he made a second post, let me have a normal life if I probably could. Um, he says, I believe part racism for sure. This is what he wrote on his Facebook page. When his, kid, uh, his friends asked him, who did he think was hacking his phone? He says, I believe part racism, racism for sure. Um, he said that he believed that there were people that were following him, hacking his phone for political and religious reasons. So your, your, your uh, statement about social may you know, certainly have some part in his, his decision, his trigger, if you will, to then commit this, this random act of violence at the Boulder grocery store. Uh, but I think that what you have in that particular case, and you'll see in his defense, I think it's already been stated that he needs to have a, uh, uh, a mental health uh, evaluation to determine whether or not he's mentally competent to stand trial. In both cases, the reaction was, OK, we need to strengthen gun laws. These people you see here's an example. Well, I can give you an example every day where laws are broken and you don't necessarily write stronger laws. Right. Um, there are other things that you have to look at. Having said that, immediately following the second shooting, the one in Colorado, I found it interesting that the uh, National Rifle Association posted or tweeted uh, the Second Amendment. Quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to, to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, end quote. But the problem with people that post and quote the Second Amendment who aren't uh, constitutional scholars uh, fail to point out in the first, the first part of that statement, the first part of the quote from our founding fathers is it says a well-regulated militia. So let's assume everyone who owns a gun is part of a militia, some national, you know, informal militia. Who do you think regulates that militia? It's Congress, federal government. Yeah. Federal government. So the, the, they, they defeat their own argument is the point. The government's right is to regulate gun ownership, regulate, not prohibit, not restrict or take away, but regulate just as they regulate how you drive your vehicle. And so if in 1776, you had, in, in this particular case, um, in Boulder, um, Alyssa, the, the subject, he bought, he had a, uh, a handgun, well, two handguns. One was modified with a stock. One was a Ruger, I believe. And um, he bought those legally. So if the government wants to say, here's a regulation, if you can't pass a mental um, competency exam before you buy a gun, they have the right to do that. If the government says you have to prove U.S. citizenship to buy a gun in the United States, they, they have the right to do that. Those are regulations that the government has the right to do. The problem is when both sides of, uh, of the House, Democrats and Republicans, don't come together to find a common ground, a, a common sense common ground that protects the citizens that are shopping in Boulder, Colorado, or giving a therapeutic massage in Atlanta, Georgia. Right? So 
That's the, the crux of it. To, to basically say there should be no regulation or there should be no gun ownership, those are non-starters. The answer is somewhere in the middle and can be defined by these types of, of critical incidents if we rationally and fairly look at these situations. I want to switch gears for a second. Not really switch gears, but give you, get your take on the copycat issue. I mean, this is the one happened seven days after the other. Uh, we've seen this in the past. The media was told in the past, studies that show, don't show the shooter. Show, yeah. show the victims, show the crime scene, talk about those things. Don't give the name. Don't do this. Don't do that. They did it for about, I think, six months. Last I spoke to a professor on it. And then they came right back to it again. And we normally see within a week or so, somebody else goes on because it seems to be a triggering effect, like the suicide off the bridges and things of that nature. Um, do we see a copycat issue here? Because I know the second one, as you mentioned, Alyssa seems to have some kind of paranoid delusion. So he looks well, you're an academic. Psychotic episode on that. Yeah. Carlos, you're an academic. And I played an academic now and then as an FBI a researcher at the academy. <laughs> Uh, correlation and causation, two separate things. Um, are, I gave you seven different scenarios where the, some guy went in and shot more than four people. The, thank God that, the, you know, in those other five cases, four people or more didn't die. They were shot, but didn't die. Um, the reality is I, I don't buy the copycat. I don't think that Scylla uh, uh, was in Boulder, Colorado, waiting for Long to shoot a bunch of people to be motivated to go out and shoot people himself. In fact, if you look at, the, uh, at that case, he had bought the weapon before, I believe, or, or the day that Long did his shooting. Right. So Long's was on the 16th. I, bought, I believe uh, an open source says that he bought his guns on the 16th. I believe that's the case or shortly thereafter. I don't think there's a causation case right here to be made. Um, I think what you do have, if you're looking at correlation, you have two individuals who went through a process of isolation, anger, and then projected that anger against others. Coincidentally, they happen to be within, you know, week, week and a half uh, from each other. I think it, 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 it does illustrate the problem we have in this country, which is we have real mental illness, one in three persons in the United States suffers from mental illness. Uh, doesn't mean that if you are suffering from mental illness, you're going to go out and shoot people. Doesn't mean that at all. The vast majority of people with mental illness, if they do any harm, it's usually self-harm. Um, but we also have a society that embraces gun ownership, which is great. I do. Okay. So what it comes down to is choice. And, you know, we've been friends for a long time uh, and I and I harp on that. Right. That humans from day one, it's it's given to us this lesson in the Bible. God gives us free will. But God lives in all of us, whether you call him God or some spiritual being or just the Star Wars evil versus good kind of thing. Humans um, possess the ability to be both good and bad. Um, the angelic and evil. And so in, it, it, the reality is that in an open society, we have to accept that risk. And I don't know that there's, you know, people out there looking to copycat. There are people that uh, I believe that are going through the same process, even today as we speak, 
that are isolated, uh, that become angry, and will act out in, in violence. But here's the positive side. Both of these cases, the families knew these people were, these two subjects were going down a slippery slope. Um, in the Boulder, Colorado case, go to open source. The family has been cooperating since the shooting and said, look, he was going down this slippery slope of mental illness for some time, but nobody said anything. Nobody directed him to get mental help. In the long case, the family kicked him out of the house. That was part of the lethal triad. He, he, was, he, he had a personal crisis that may have been the catalyst to the shooting. The family, after the shooting at the spa, saw the police uh, surveillance uh, release, called the police themselves and said, we believe that's our kid. That's our son. And his, he's got a tracker on his cell phone. Thank God they cooperated because he was heading, according to the police, down to Florida to possibly commit more acts of violence. They intercepted him based on tracking his cell phone and were able to mitigate the violence that he was, was doing. That was very telling to me. Um, they knew a lot more. <laughs> and they uh, often do in these yeah. cases. These cases often have a number of. So, again, you and I have known each other for a long time. You know how I do these anal these, these risk threat analysis. And, and crisis doesn't just occur. Think of a, a, a think of a line. I'm going to go. I'm going to draw it here. So uh, is it left or right? I don't know if that shows left or right on my screen uh, or not. Right to left, left or on right. mine. Yeah. Okay. So this left or right, left or right. There you go. <laughs> so left or right, the military calls it getting left of the boom. So if the boom is here, we want to get left of the boom, which means in a timeline, the crisis is here. The conflict is here. The disruptors are over here. And so we want to identify the disruptors as early as possible so we can resolve the conflict in order to mitigate the crisis. That is the art of risk and threat assessment. Yeah, the pre-threat indicators. I, and so if you look for those indicators, we have somebody in my family who is exhibiting mental uh, issues. I find out he's shopping for a gun or has a gun. That's a red flag. And all 50 states have red flag le legislation. They can allow the, 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 um, the police to come in, do a welfare check, and if they have to, do a commitment. Now, it's not a, it's not a 100% uh, solution to these problems, but it certainly can um, minimize uh, or mitigate, I should say, uh, some of these crises by, by identifying the disruptor early and using proper conflict resolution um, strategies to, to prevent that crisis from occurring. That's one point I can jump on too. Now, I wanted to also elaborate a little bit on the copycat. And the copycat, I don't think he was waiting for the other guy to shoot, but a lot of times it can enhance their motivation if they're looking to uh, express themselves in a way. Um, and maybe he sees this and sees the legacy that the other guy left behind by seeing that video of yeah, the guy. But so I'm not saying it's accurate. I'm just saying a lot of times that's what it triggers them when they've done other studies on copycats. Right. It's but here's what I'm, catharsis uh, here, they're trying to get. Here's at. a distinction. So yeah. let me let me make the distinction. I don't disagree with you that a, a copycat may be inspired. There were uh, there have been active shooters inspired by Keybold and Harris, the Col Columbine shooters, inspired. Wow. That's early in the timeline. You know, when we go left to left to right on the boom. 
I don't know a case, and please show me some research that indicates that someone used a as a copycat and a, a case as a catalyst. That you know, I was thinking about you know today I'm just playing video games, but oh, I heard about the Sandy Hook shooter, so tomorrow I'm going to go shoot these people in my school. I there may be cases like that. I'd like to see those studies, Inspir inspired by them, you know, and then at the early part of the planning. These would be pre-incidents. That's what I'm getting at. These are pre-threat indicators. Uh, not a pre-threat indicator, but this could be pre-incident motivator yes. for an individual. Not a causal, yeah. a contributing factor. Because the other thing I wanted to highlight, you made a really important point. You're not going to stop them all. You're just right. not. You're not going to no. catch them all. FBI could have visited Alyssa 10 times and they may have never caught anything. Well, that happened. Nicholas Cruz down in Parkland. Yeah, exactly. It's a good example. And, and yeah. you know, he was visited by uh, social services, people. by local PD, by the FBI, you know, and, and did some, the Boston bomber. I forget the, the dude's name, but the FBI had him as a guardian oh. threat assessment. Sure enough. Sure sure enough. Yeah, the, the, the brother, the older brother, not the young brother, was a guardian yeah. case. Um, okay. There was a case in and there's a case in Alaska where the FBI, uh, the guy comes into the FBI office, says that. This guy says he'd been having these voices that uh, ISIS wanted him to go and shoot a bunch of people. The FBI had him committed, took his gun. He had mental evaluation, passed all that. The gun was given back to him. He gets on an airplane, flies down to Fort Lauderdale, takes his gun out of check luggage, loads it, and starts shooting people in the airport at the carousel. Yes, that stuff, you're not going to eliminate it. Um, I think, though, uh, my earlier point, which is these things don't just happen. There's no such thing as a snap theory. These cases all have pre-incident indicators that if people see something and say something, then we have a better chance, a, a better chance is all we're saying, of eliminating the threat. And this next comment I'm going to make is, again, folks, listen carefully to what I'm saying here. I am not blaming the families, but I know a lot of families that have very difficult times admitting seeing their children with mental health issues and saying anything to anyone out of fear. Well, the, the people and fear I understand things. that. And they, they listen, they want to defend their kid. They, they love their family. And it's not, that's not, um, that's not uh, the single purview of, of these types of cases. In other words, humans, and, and there's a good book called uh, The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker, where he talks about it's the human condition to minimize, misidentify, or be unwilling to define the uh, threat disruptors. When you feel, you know, the, the, the hairs on the back of your neck because you're walking down a, a back, you know, dark alley, uh, a lot of people will convince themselves there's really no threat here until they're hit upside the head with a pipe and robbed, right? So there, if you think that there's something going on with a family member, it doesn't seem to be quite themselves. Those are anomalies in the baseline of behavior. Those are disruptors that need to be addressed. And a lot of, you're absolutely right. It's out of love and compassion that we oftentimes suppress, misidentify, or ignore those disruptors. They become conflicts. They're not properly managed, and they result in crisis. That's a great quote by DeBecker. Andy, yeah. another great job. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Carlos had a good time uh, discussing these uh, these issues. And, you know, uh, the bottom line is you're, you, you said it, you hit it right on the head. 
you cannot eliminate. The whole goal uh, is to, to mitigate and to lessen the threat so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have in this country. Uh, but you, 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 there's a, ultimately, there's some risk in everything we do every day. Absolutely. Folks, again, Inside the Criminal Mind, check out the playlist on YouTube. If you're listening to us on the audio, go to YouTube. You can catch the playlist there. Also visit BehavioralScienceUnit.com to learn more about Andy and what he's up to. And if you need his services, go to BehavioralScienceUnit.com. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. I think that's it for me, Andy. And me as well, Carlos. Have a great day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.